Hey listeners, just a reminder that the history of everything sex is for mature audiences, so listen with discretion. And don't forget, we're ready for suggestions, ideas, stories, whatever you want to tell us. Just email us at thehistoryofsexpod at gmail.com. Thanks! Hello, Miss Terry. Hello, how are you? I am tired, but I am good. I have nothing to complain about. How are you? You know what? I'm doing all right. Doing yeah. okay. Doing okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Would you like to say you're welcome? I will, of course. Please. Welcome to the history of everything. Sex. Very good. I like that. Thank you. That, that came I was from your tone. a little something a little different. It did. Yeah. It was I was using my diaphragm. I see that. Good on you. Good on you. Thank you. Thank you. Ready to dive in? Let's dive straight in. So, you don't even know what this one's going to be about. I don't know what it's about. Nope. Um, do you know a little bit about a Dr. Ruth? Oh, I do, Dr. Ruth Westheimer. <laughs> yes, that's yes, I, I do. Every time I say her name, I just giggle because I just, yeah. you know, like I remember my sister and I watching her like to some extent when I was growing yeah. up. And yeah. I mean, I don't think we had a clue what she was talking about, but it was just right. the fact that she was talking about sexy things and yes. she was an old lady and yes, had this she, accent. She's this pop icon, like pop icon, kind of like Max Headroom. Then there's yes. Dr. Ruth, and then there's Madonna. Madonna, and, right? You know, Dweezil Zappa, just whatever. Yeah, yeah. Funky Brewster, Funky Brewster. Sure, why not? Right? <laughs> why not? Yeah. So, um, I recently had come across something that talked a little bit about her history, and I was like, I didn't know any of that. So, mm. you know, we all know that she's a sexpert. We all know that she's you know, famous you know famous. And, she's like she has a tall exactly yeah or something so, yeah uh, yeah so i thought you know well let's see how she came to be the let's sexpert, hear it the famous i'm interested that she is. all right well here we go so okay corolla is her first name corolla ruth seigel was born june 4th 1928 in weissenfeld germany in her maternal grandparents' house. Hmm. Her mother, Irma Hanauer, was not a well-educated woman. She was actually working as a housekeeper in the home of the man who would become her husband. It's Julius. I know I'm supposed to pronounce it Julius or something, but I just say Julius. Okay. Just, just give me that, okay? So Julius, Julius Seigel. Now, while working for the Seigel family, Irma had started a relationship with Julius, and the couple ended up having one child, which was Ruth, or okay. Corolla Ruth. Mm. Now, she grew up in a home with her parents and her grandma, Julius's mother, who was not exactly crazy about her mom, but, you know, because Julius's parents were pretty well off. And mm -hmm. then their housekeeper, who is a housekeeper, right? you know, takes up with their son, gets married, has this kid, and, you know, and then, of course, grandma lives with them. So, mm -hmm. 
she just was never really uh, a fan of Ruth's mom. So, but Ruth was very, very loved. Like she, she knew that everybody loved her, even if they all bickered amongst themselves or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, now Ruth's parents were Orthodox Jews and her father took her to synagogue regularly. The school closest to their home was not Orthodox enough for her father. So Ruth was enrolled in a school that was a little further away. Every morning, her father would put her on his bike and ride her to school. The whole way there, he would quiz her and study with her. And the two of them were just really, really super close. Like she just, Mm -hmm. she was a daddy's girl. Yeah. So Ruth says that she doesn't remember hearing about politics or worrying about the Nazis until Kristallnacht, which was November 9th of 1938. When the Nazis overnight went all anti-Jewish and they like tore through the Jewish communities, made a whole mess of it. Crystal knocked means glass mm. night because yeah. they just like left the place in ruins. And this is the first time that they really, truly came out as like completely anti, you know, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish. Yeah. So after that night, Nazi soldiers rounded up Jewish men and took them to work camps. Now, Ruth remembers the night that they came for her father. At the time, he was 38. And she, her mother, and her grandmother just cried and cried and cried. And in fact, she very distinctly remembers her grandmother slipping money to the soldiers and begging them to take care of her son. So I don't know if that was a thing that other people did too, or if she just thought that maybe the fact that she had money meant that her son could like escape the worst of it or something. I don't know. But mm-hmm. um, so as things got worse, as we know they did in Germany, uh, Ruth's mother and grandmother made the horribly difficult decision to send 10-year-old Ruth out of the country. So kinder transport was a rescue mission to get kids who were in danger out of Nazi-controlled areas of Europe. Most of the children were Jewish, but not all of them. Now, Ruth boarded a train for Switzerland on January 5th, 1939, with 300 other Jewish children aged 6 through 14. All of the children had either had their father taken away or they were orphans. And Ruth had a suitcase and a doll baby. That's all she had with her. You were allowed to bring one suitcase and then she had her baby doll. Mm -hmm. She remembers her mom and grandma running after the train, waving goodbye until the very last second. Now on the train, there was a very sad little girl who cried and cried. So Ruth, 10 years old, already taking care of people, um, gave the little girl her doll baby. And then there was a six-year-old little boy named Wolfgang who was so young and just so lost. And so Ruth took him under her wing and acted as a little bit of a mother figure to him for years and years. So the children were told that they were being taken to a safe place, but that they would be returned to their homes after six months. They were kind of excited because they'd never traveled before. Mm -hmm. So they arrived at a Jewish children's home. And although it wasn't an ideal place to grow up, Ruth has made it very clear that she is grateful for the shelter and the food and the community. 
Mm-hmm. And to this day, she is friends with quite a few of the kids that she was there with. Hmm. So at the home, those who were there as refugees worked to care for those whose parents had paid for their children to be there. So originally it wasn't an orphanage. It was a children's home. And so okay. some parents sent their kids there kind of like a boarding place, boarding house kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So if you were there as a refugee, then you're the one who did all the work, you know, in, and mm-hmm. you kind of like cleaned up after the kids who were paying to be there. So while girls were not permitted to go to school at that time, Ruth was friends with a one little boy who she now says was her first little boyfriend. And um, he went to school and he would bring home textbooks for her to read at night, which she absolutely did. She would go Mm -hmm. out to the stairwell where there was enough light and she would stay up all night reading the textbooks. So what I found mystifying, like I, I, I'm not a history buff by any means, but this still kind of threw me. Mm-hmm. Her father actually returned home after a few months at the work camp. He was home for two years um, before he was eventually detained and taken to a concentration camp. So I was like, what? They took people away and brought them back? Like, I, right, right. I don't even pretend to know the whole logistics behind that. Right, right. But despite being told that they'd go home after six months, Ruth and the others never did return to Germany. Ruth and her family wrote letters back and forth almost daily. And Ruth said that she could tell from her father's letters that home was definitely not a good place to be. Mm-hmm. So this is how she knows that even though she wasn't home, she knows that her dad came back and that he was there mm-hmm. for two years and Then in 1941, all of the letters from her family just suddenly stopped coming. Mm. So she never heard from her parents again. Now, Ruth was at that orphanage for a total of six years. In 1945, when she was 16 years old, she left with a bunch of other orphans. You kind of aged out at 16. Mm -hmm. Um, She had no desire and no reason to return to Germany. So she went to Palestine, as one does, I guess. All right. Um, She lived in a tent with three guys who had also traveled from the orphanage, and she worked picking tomatoes and olives at a work settlement or a farm Mm. settlement. So then she found a program where she could work for a year and trade for a year of college. And this was late 1945. So she started washing dishes and trade for room and board. And this is where she learned Hebrew because she lived with, you know, people who spoke Hebrew. So she learned Mm -hmm. to speak Hebrew. Um, And then from 1946 to 1947, she went to school. Then in 1947, she went back to work. This time, mostly she was a babysitter. But she did come to realize that this year for year program was not going to work. It would take forever for her to get through college. Mm -hmm. Also, the 1947 19 to 1949 Palestine War had begun, and she wanted to stand up for her beliefs. So in 1948, she joined an underground militia group, the Haganah Jewish Zionists in Jerusalem, which is where she now lived and attended school. Um, she was studying early childhood education by day. And training to be an underground militia soldier. Jesus. I know, right? Yeah. 
She was trained as a scout and became an expert sniper. Wow. Even today in her 90s, she can assemble a Sten submachine gun literally with her eyes closed. And she demonstrated it on a show when she was 90 years old. She actually did it. So she does say that she never killed anyone, but she also says she was really good at throwing grenades. Um, Mm -hmm. And at her four foot seven inch height, she was a really difficult target to hit. I bet. Right. They're probably like, I don't get it. Right. They're like, it's not making sense. Stand still, you little thing. Yeah. Yes. All right. So then on June 4th, 1948, which was her 20th birthday, the sirens went off. Ruth hustled to her room to get a book that she had just received for her birthday before heading to the bunker. But an explosion in the hall sent shrapnel tearing through the building. Two girls that were really close to Ruth, like location wise, they were close to her. They were killed. Um, She saw them die, and Ruth was severely injured. Her legs were maimed, and the top of one of her feet was actually completely just blown off. Oh, the top of your foot? Yes. Doesn't that sound (gasps) horrible? That sounds awful. I mean, none of it sounds good. but Right, 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 right. Now, she credits a German-Jewish surgeon with saving her life and her ability to walk. Although she had to go through months of recovery and rehab. Now, at the rehab facility, Ruth couldn't bear to be upstairs. She was terrified of another bomb blast. Little PTSD, like literally. Right. So she was allowed to stay in the basement with the injured soldiers. She slept on a shelf at night and played chess with the guys during the day. And she was pretty much as happy as one could be in such a situation. Mm -hmm. She seems like she makes the best of all of her situations. Absolutely. And everywhere she lives or goes or stays, she's with all men. So, right. Eventually, the head nurse found out about the whole situation in the basement and said that Ruth absolutely could not be kept with the men. So she had her moved up to the female floor. And but Ruth wasn't having it. So she just ran away. (laughs) obviously by then her she was healed enough to run so right right so at that point she returned to israel where she worked as a kindergarten teacher um she stopped practicing orthodox judaism simply because it was nearly impossible in her poor situation right you know they do a lot of you know special diets and and stuff like that and she just she just had to kind of eat whatever she could get a hold of at that point right right So one of the guys that she had kept in contact with from the children's home had become a doctor and he had married a nice Swiss woman named Vera. The couple would host dinners at their home on Friday nights, inviting, quote, people like me, as Ruth says, which I think means like other orphans who were broke. And Vera's sister um, happened to invite an Israeli soldier named David or David who was going to be a doctor. Now, Ruth and David hit it off, and they actually ended up getting married in 1950. Hmm. So this was the first time that Ruth got a glimpse of another lifestyle. Fancy restaurants, nice hotels, even people who actually owned cars. 
that was like all very new to her. But right. her man's family had a little bit of money. Nice. <clears throat> so she was 22. And David's family seemed to her, they seemed like royalty. Mm-hmm. David ended up moving to Paris for his medical degree because they didn't have medical schools in Israel. And Ruth, he left. She stayed back. She saved all of her money, which was not very much, so that eventually she was able to go join him. Now, she was so awestruck, first by the plane ride, something that she had only ever heard about, um, but then by the Parisian markets that displayed so much fabric and so much meat. Like, she just didn't know, you know, this was all new to her. Israel... Israel literally had nothing at this time. So Mm. um, she felt like she had just landed on another planet. Might as well have pretty much. Mm -hmm. So in France, Ruth again worked as a teacher. And this time she was teaching both children and the children's parents. And while she and David had very little money, they did splurge and buy a scooter and some camping equipment so that they could have some adventures. You know, they just didn't want to sit still. They wanted to move, move, move. Eventually, David returned to Israel, but Ruth stayed in Paris, and she divorced David, and she even says now, like, it wasn't love, it was just kind of a a thing, but it, mm-hmm. it wasn't, like, real love. So next, Ruth decided that she wanted to visit an uncle of hers who lived in San Francisco, California. So she had recently started dating a guy named Dan Bomber, who was also, who was a Frenchman, but had recently returned from a visit to Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, with while Ruth had previously avoided collecting the reparation funds that were offered to those who had, um, for those who had to forgo school because of the Nazis, um, she now needed the money. So she collected 5,000 marks. Mm-hmm. Um, she bought Dan a suit And then she bought two tickets to New York. So once the two of them arrived in New York, they stayed one night in a hotel. um, And then Ruth poured over a Jewish newspaper that had lots of classifieds advertising cheap rooms for rent for Jews, as well as job postings. Not only did she find a place for them to live, she also found a scholarship program for survivors of the Nazis. So she went back to school. She went to the new school for social research, first majoring in psychology, then switching to sociology. She worked as a maid for a while, making 75 cents an hour before landing a job at the French embassy. Now, when she found herself pregnant, she married Dan, knowing full well that it was only to legitimize the pregnancy. In 1956, at the age of 28, Ruth gave birth to a baby girl. She wanted to use the letters of her mother's Irma's name, but she didn't necessarily want to name the baby Irma. So she came up with the name Miriam. Um, When Miriam turned one, Ruth and Dan divorced on good terms, and he went back to Europe. The following few years must have been hell on Ruth. She continued her master's program while working in market research, making a dollar an hour. Um, She was able to afford childcare, 
with the help of a Jewish community resource. She remembers getting off work and being so hungry, but still she had to pick up Miriam from the sitter and then walk 10 blocks, sometimes through the New York snow and ice, to get home before she could finally eat and rest. She would often have friends over um, for get-togethers where they would pig out on potato chips, which is what they could afford at the time. Uh, If a friend hosted a little get-together, then Ruth would take Miriam with her, of course, and they would make a circle out of the coats on the bed for Miriam to be placed in the middle of, and everyone knew that that's where Miriam was. (laughs) Oh. I know, right? Yeah. Um, Now, at last, in 1959, Ruth earned her master's degree. The following year, 1960, she went on a weekend ski trip with some friends. There, she met a friend of a friend by the name of Fred. She was smitten. But his then-girlfriend told Ruth to keep her hands off of her man and that Fred was taken. And Ruth simply replied, we'll see. So, (laughs) right. Fred was born in 1925 in Germany like Ruth. However, his parents had moved the family to Portugal when he was very little. Eventually, his parents sent him to the United States to finish high school, and afterwards, he joined the U.S. Army. When he met Ruth, he was working as an engineer. Not too shabby, I would say. So, Ruth and Fred Westheimer got married in 1961. In 1963, Ruth and Fred welcomed a son, Joel and Fred adopted Miriam. In 1965, Ruth became an American citizen, and they were just a happy happy little family. Ruth took a position at a school of public health doing research, but eventually the grant money that was funding that research dried up, and Ruth was out of a job. She searched around and landed a position with Planned Parenthood in Harlem, New York, and I know, right? Mm -hmm. and then was promoted to project director in 1967. Good for her. Yeah. Now, later she said that she thought the people at Planned Parenthood were crazy because all they talked about was sex, sex, sex. (laughs) But before long, she came to realize that that this was quite an interesting subject. (laughs) Suddenly, she wanted to learn everything there is to know about sex. So in her position, she worked with and followed 2,000 patients. She attended every seminar, lecture, and conference that she could. Over time, she became an expert, obviously. She enrolled part-time at Columbia University's Teacher College and got her doctorate in Interdisciplinary Study of Family in 1970. This woman loves to learn. She does. She reminds me of somebody. Who? You. Who? Me. You love to learn. I do. I'm a nerd. She's a nerd like me. Is really is a nerd. But she's a sex nerd. So she's a sex nerd. You go, girl. You kind of are a sex nerd too. (laughs) Okay. Um. (laughs) Now, at that point, she took a position as a lecturer and assistant professor at Lehman College, teaching the psychology of education and how to teach sex ed to kindergarten through 12th grade. Ah, Dr. Ruth. I know, isn't she awesome? Yes. So, hungry for yet more education, 
She started taking classes at Cornell University Medical School, training to be a sex therapist. She trained for two years, then spent five years training other students and honing her skills. It was while she was at Cornell in 1980, when Ruth was 52 years old, that New York radio bigwigs came calling. They needed someone to do a lecture for all the radio DJs and staff about how to use the radio platform to educate the public about sex and contraception. Pretty cool ah, idea, right? Yeah, right. very good. Yeah. Now, nobody at Ruth's job was willing to volunteer since there literally was no money being offered. It was a volunteer position. So Ruth said she would do it. She was very passionate about educating people about sexual health and reproduction. So she went, she gave a 15-minute lecture. She talked about unintended pregnancies and STDs. She used the term significant other. Uh, and she implored the radio people to get the word out about healthy, safer sex practices. She's like, look, guys, people are listening to you, obviously. You right, know, right. Use it to your advantage. Like, put this out there. Less than a week later, Betty Elam, the community affairs manager of WYNYFM, reached out to Ruth asking her if she'd be interested in doing a 15-minute radio show once a week for $25. Nice. Yeah. So Ruth was like, heck yeah, I will. So she would go in every Tuesday and record her segment, and then they would play it on Sunday night after midnight. And after a while, they had listeners mail in questions. So listeners would mail in their questions. Dr. Ruth would read through them. Some of them she would read on the show and answer. The show was called Sexually Speaking with Dr. Ruth, and it was a hit. Uh-huh. In September of 1983, the show was extended to an hour, and people could call in at that point. According to Dr. Ruth, they received 653 calls, which is oddly specific. I don't know. Right, right, right. But she only heard and answered between 25 and 30 of them because the producers would weed them out. Uh-huh. Now, at that time, the show had about 250,000 listeners. Also, in 1983, Ruth published her first book, Dr. Ruth's Guide to Good Sex. By now, Ruth had already been a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and The Late Show with David Letterman. So she's becoming a pretty well-known little lady. Household name. Right. Now, the radio show, which was eventually expanded to a two-hour show, changed its name to You're on the Air with Dr. Ruth, and it was on the air until June of 1991. Uh, it had become a national radio show in 1984, and by 1985, it was on weekly in 45 U.S. cities. Cool. Yes. Now, on August 27th of 1984, Ruth's television show, Good Sex! Exclamation point, debuted on Lifetime Cable Network. It was on every night, Monday through Friday at 10 p.m. And Dr. Ruth, with her co-host Larry Angelo, 
would start by answering some viewers' phone calls. She would then interview a famous guest. After that, she and some actors would reenact a therapy session, kind of like to show how a sex therapy session would go. Mm-hmm. And it may be something that she had actually had happen, you know, that day or that week or whatever. Uh-huh. And then at the end, Dr. Ruth was would answer more phone calls. The show was consistently the highest rated show on Lifetime with 2 million viewers. Wow. And in total, there ended up being 450 episodes, a lot of which you can still find on YouTube. Very cool. Yes. Some of her guests included Burt Reynolds. <laughs> There's your boyfriend. Burt my Reynolds. boy. My boy. <laughs> uh, Gloria Steinem. Henry Winkler. The Fonz. Uh-huh. Uh, Willard Scott. That nice. makes me giggle. Right, right, right. Uh, New York Mayor Edward Cook, Joan Rivers, and Gene Simmons. All of those people make sense. I know. They really do. Dr. Ruth also had a recurring column in Playgirl and several newspaper columns. She appeared as a guest on many, many talk shows, um, plus Good Morning America. Um, She was actually on Ellen as recently as 2019. Oh, really? Yes. Now, at this point, so far, Ruth has published over 40 books, including four editions of Sex for Dummies. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ruth and Fred were married for 36 years until Fred passed away in 1997. And to this day, Ruth lives in the same small apartment that she has lived in since she and Fred were married. Wow. Yeah. Her daughter Miriam is married and has her doctorate and spent six years in Israel. Um, her son Joel is married and also has his doctorate. So she raised some pretty smart kids. Yeah, you know. she did. They're doing okay. Uh, Dr. Ruth has four grandchildren and she sees them at least weekly. And she feels like Hitler never wanted her to have grandchildren so the fact that she does is kind of like a big fuck you to adolf nice nice just makes her feel vindicated you know right 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 um in 2009 there was an off-broadway show called becoming dr ruth and then there was a documentary of her life called ask dr ruth and that was released on hulu in 2019 so you can still watch that on yeah i definitely want to watch that there you go Now, she has, this whole time, she has maintained a private practice, doling out sex therapy, um, and she's still friends with some of the children that were on the kinder transport over 80 years ago with her. Wow. Um, And she still visits Israel every year. Very cool. Yeah, she's she's a pretty neat lady. Yeah, she is. I mean, she's done so much. I know, right? So let me um, let me play you this little um, clip here okay. um, uh, from her on Ellen, and it probably doesn't do as much justice when you can't see Ellen's face because that's the funniest part because Ellen's just completely embarrassed by all this. Right, right, right. Um, at what age do men's sex drives decrease? My friends and I um, are over 50, and we've noticed that we want sex more often. Women, as they age, want sex more often, but the men's sex uh, drive seems okay. to decrease. First of all, a very good question. 
And I do believe I did a book, but I'm not bringing it here now. Sex over 50 doesn't fit your audience. However, people have to learn that they can be sexually active until a late stage in life if they are smart. If they know that at a certain age to engage in sex in the mornings, the testosterone level is highest. And people, older people, should get up in the morning, go to the bathroom, have a little breakfast, back into bed. <laughs> and it is not true that women don't like to have sex in the mornings after a good night's sleep. And whoever they are with, they should also go back into bed. Women, if they are with a man, and if it is intercourse, then women have to know to use a lubricant, never to engage in sexual intercourse without a well-lubricated vagina. <laughs> it holds true for two women, too. They should also use a lubricant. I don't, I don't want people to tell me that intercourse was painful. That's the important thing, because then she's going to say, it hurts. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the takeaway here is lubricant. Um. Um, and then let me play you another clip here from another one of her little, um, this is actually from her on David Letterman. And this mm -hmm. is absolutely hilarious as well. Okay. Uh, is it abnormal for a 19-year-old? Uh, tell me if this is the kind of question you get. Is it abnormal for a 19-year-old to be nervous around older women, uh, but to be very attracted to them? That's and this is fine. from uh, a 19-year-old male. Of so. course, of course. Uh, that's a fantastic question, David. And I'll tell you why. What he really wants to know, probably, and what I would generalize about that question is that it's perfectly all right to get erections, even at places where erections are not called for because he can't use that erection at that time, around women in general. And if this particular 19-year-old does feel a certain movement in his um, genitalia, that it's perfectly all right and he shouldn't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> if, if you just joined us, we're discussing elections. <laughs> Do you know any, do you know of any, now I guess you get this one a lot, do you know of any modern day aphrodisiacs? Yes, the only aphrodisiac needed is right between your ears. It's in your mind. It is nothing from the outside and it is not a substance to be taken. It is just what you can do with your mind yeah. in order to get a good sexual functioning. Yeah, this is uh, fascinating. I, uh, this radio program, do people call up and snicker and giggle? Uh, I mean, That's a good question, David. Even when I hear snickering, even when it's a question about somebody being sexually aroused by uh, peanut butter, I answer it very seriously. Because there might be somebody out there who really has a question about fetishism. And um, I don't mind that there is giggle, because I think that sexual activity should be fun. Yeah. And it should be humor, and that's why I'm here talking yeah. with you on this show. <laughs> um, but I do answer it in terms of the um, findings, the physiological and research findings in terms of the um, sexual 
knowledge that yeah. we do have. Yeah, you're terrific, and uh, I see now why the show is a huge success. Thank, Thank you very you. much. I hope you listen to my show. I'll do that. Dr. Ruth West. Um, <laughs> she's great. Isn't she amazing? She's great. Oh, you know, she cracks me up. She cracks me up. Yeah. And uh, so let's hear some of Dr. Ruth's advice. Okay. Now I'll start by saying two very general things that okay. I learned. Number one, Dr. Ruth does not condone drug use, S&M, or pedophilia. Thank goodness. Yes. Everything else, as long as it's consensual, is great, cool, wonderful. Okay. She's cool with it. Number two, Dr. Ruth did get a little backlash recently because she made a statement that no one should be naked in a bed with someone else unless they want to have sex. And some mm. people didn't like that. Like she's saying, you don't have the right to say like no. you Like you're asking for it if you, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. like. Yeah, like saying no or stop. Like once you've gotten so far, you don't, you shouldn't be trying to say no or stop. So right, right, right. she got some backlash for that. But as far as I know, that's pretty much the only thing that anybody's ever. Like controversy. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So here are some tips from Dr. Ruth. Uh, people are not Siamese twins. They don't want to have sex or the same amount of sex at the same time. The important thing is that a couple adjusts to it. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, she says, I do suggest that people have sex before they go out to dinner. That also really makes sense. Because if you're anything like it me, does. when you get home right. from dinner, A, you're full and B, you're ready for bed. Right. So there's that. Yeah. So, so, so just, yeah, do the, have the dessert first. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Many people grow jealous of their partner's fantasy lovers. That's a big mistake. After years of being together, many people need fantasy to become sufficiently aroused for sex with their partner. Mm -hmm. So that's that. Right. Um, if you're always waiting for that orgasm, you won't enjoy the rest of the lovemaking as much. You risk being goal-oriented, impatiently waiting for that orgasm. Hmm. So she's like, enjoy the ride. Right. Let it as much as you do the de destination. Right. You don't have to share your fantasies. If you have sex with your partner and the woman thinks about a whole football team in bed with her, that's okay. <laughs> but keep your mouth shut about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, your sex life is not supposed to come to an end just because you've hit a certain age. Good on you there, Ruth. Good. Yeah. Thank you, Ruth. Right. Men, you want stronger sperm? eat walnuts huh threw that out there like yeah that. okay she knows something right make up your own events like an onion ring tossed on an erect penis why an onion ring <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> I, I don't know nah. <laughs> how about donuts instead right. onion uh, ring I don't want an onion ring onion ween <laughs> oniony ween on yeah yeah uh she says put down the screens and get to know each other she's talks a lot about that about put your phone down people like she's so sick of these right 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 all of us young kids with our phones all the time um a, a good sexual experience needs time for arousal as well as for hugging and kissing after sex 
after play is part of the arousal phase for the next encounter. Mm -hmm. um, the more women engage in sex, the less severe the symptoms of menopause related to good sexual functioning will be. Hmm. Now you know. Mm -hmm. um, in nursing homes, I would like to make sure that there's a dating room with a sign, like in a hotel, that says, do not disturb. There's a need for caressing and being held at every age. But well, I would argue there's a need for sex and orgasms, too, not just Right, right, acting. right. Right. They should have a dating room. I yeah. agree. Um, parade your body in front of your partner. Show it off and try to feel good about it. Okay. Yeah. All right, Doc. Um, we'll just, I'll just read this. <laughs> You're on a business trip. You go out to dinner with a coworker. You each have too much to drink and you end up having sex, even though you're both married. You have no feelings for this person. You both regret what happened and you promise yourself that it'll that you'll never let this happen again. Do you tell your spouse? I say don't. No matter how well your spouse takes the news, it'll leave a scar on your relationship. So she says, zip your lip, homie. Right. All right. Older people have to be sexually literate. No sex in the evening when they're tired. The best way for older people to engage in sex is after a good night's sleep. Hmm. All right. And then these are some quotes from very random quote quotes mm -hmm. from her sexually speaking show. Okay. Somebody just pulled these out and here we are. Um, we are going to do some snuggling without leading to a sexual episode. Um, casual sex doesn't sit right with me casual sex means to me like having a cup of coffee and we do know that sexual activity is more than just saying hello i mean does it have to be though no just be hello <laughs> uh fantasies are okay uh her advice uh you'll know where this is going make believe it's an ice cream cone <laughs> That's all you need to know. That's right. That's right. it. Um, she says, all right. I would say to the toddler, mommy and daddy are making love. We'll be out in a little while. <laughs> I would not say that. No, no. No, absolutely no. not. Nope. I would rather tell the kid we're fighting. If, if, if I'm keeping my mouth shut about the affair, I'm keeping my mouth shut of what we're doing. Exactly. No kids need to be. Mm -mm, that's scarring to me. Um. Men, all of you are ignorant. You are constantly worried about the size of the penis. Let's shout it from the rooftops. The size of the penis has nothing to do with the sexual satisfaction of the woman. Okay, Dr. Ruth. Right. Um, about the pro-life movement, she says, I myself don't like people to have abortions, but abortion must remain legal as a measure for contraceptive failure. I am very upset about this nonsense of bombing Planned Parenthood centers and things like this. That's not what we need in this country. What we need is everybody to pull together and find a good contraceptive and good sex education. Right. We should put that on posters all over the place. I know. Right. Yeah. Now, what she says about porno movies. I tell patients in my private practice, I say... Sometimes, go and get a sexy movie for your VCR. Watch it and see what happens. 
I also teach people that women do get sexually aroused by sexually explicit material, but women most of the time want a story. They don't want just to see sex. Right. Okay. Okay. About women's liberation. I think it did a fantastic job by raising the consciousness. In other things, some of the militant feminists did a disservice because I see women in my office very unhappy because they listened and they are professionally on the top, but they're not married. They don't have children and in their late 30s. Now it's too late, she says. Oh, that was that was a, a little while ago. Yeah, it was. <laughs> not so much true anymore. Uh uh-uh. And then lastly, she said. The Ann Landers survey, so this is taking it back a minute, um, that found women prefer hugging to sexual intercourse. She said, Ann Landers' survey is dangerous. I didn't say Ann Landers is dangerous because that's like saying apple pie is dangerous. It was a dangerous survey because it didn't say once in a while, once a week, once a month or whatever. So that's Dr. Ruth telling you like it is. I think it's it's refreshing and she's being honest. Absolutely. Um, she's a badass. Indeed. For sure. Yes. Uh I'm really glad you did this episode. Thanks. Yeah. I mean she I learned a lot. Like I literally I didn't know any of that about her. She is other had than the fact she's a doctor. A crazy life. Uh-huh. And she's really she was super poor, really, until she was right. like 50. Right. You know, and then she kind of started hitting it big. And now, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure she has more money than God. But but she's still <clears throat> humble, apparently. Oh, humble. Okay. Living in the same apartment. And... Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know any, any of that stuff about her. And she, she's a pioneer. Really. Yes. Yes. And then um, two things. That I kind of forgot to fit in there. Number one, she says that the one question that she won't answer is anything about her own sex life. She was like, you know, I've just decided that she said there's a different there's a difference between having having secrets and keeping some things private. Right. You know, and when she's answering people's questions, she's really answering them kind of like in general and hypothetical. I mean, of course, I'm sure it's different in her private practice, but you know, when someone's on the show and they're like, Hey, so, you know, tell me about sex after menopause. It's a very general thing, you know? So Mm -hmm. if you were to ask Dr. Ruth, like, who was your best lover? She just says, next question. Cause she's like, I, you know, I don't want to talk about myself and right, my, right, you know, right, 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 right. I'm right. teaching about sex and I'm right. teaching about love and relationships. And, you know, I'm not here to talk about my own sexual relationships. Right. In fact, her husband, Fred, at one point said, they said, well, it must be really great being married to Dr. Ruth, huh? And his quote was the shoemaker's children never have shoes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I like this guy. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And then the second thing that I didn't put in there, though, the one thing that we do know about her sex life is that um, she lost her virginity at 17. <laughs> and it was to, uh, at the time, she had a boyfriend, but it wasn't her boyfriend. It was her boyfriend's brother. 
and they had oh, sex okay. like yeah on top of like a straw pile in a barn or something wow and yeah she says that she does regret that 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 wasn't a a, a great first time kind of thing but, sure 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 you know she she grew up pretty crazy i'm surprised she made it to 17 you know really mm-hmm. right right wow. So yeah, that's spunky old Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Very cool. What, Thank what you a for crazy story. That that is a crazy story. Yeah. So if you're ever sure. um, bored and you got nothing else to watch, then watch her documentary, and I think it'd probably be very interesting. Yes, I'm definitely gonna check it out. Yeah, I want to learn a lot about her. Yeah, she's a cool little lady. I mean, more a lot more because I've already learned a lot. Thank there you, you go. Very that's much. Great. <laughs> there's always more to be learned yep all well, right you, melinda well, you're for that welcome. anything else no cool well we'll see you all or talk to you all next for week me talk to you okay later later bye